Then on the September 27th, our favorite game, the the annual affair at MetLife Stadium. <laughs> this, year against, this year we're playing Notre Dame. Warm know. up the Centro buses. Yeah, yeah. We've got a home no, game. This is a test of the emergency broadcast system. Park, parking will be at the South Campus you know, sky top, you'll park your car and then you'll hop on the Centro buses and they'll shuttle you over to the stadium five hours away. I would trade I would trade Mike Reardon for uh, little Teresa and Ann Bomarito. I'm Sanders, and he's Liv, and we are two sorry excuses. Liveroo! What's up, Sam, man? Alright, two sorry excuses, episode 11. Damn. What's happening, man? Nothing much, man. What's happening with you? Nothing. Time flies. Time flies. Uh, it's hard to back. It seem, it's hard to believe. It seems like it was just yesterday we were doing episode 10. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy how that works, huh? Yeah, that was so long ago. Um, so we're recording this uh, episode a little early. Um, I'm going uh, under the knife on uh, next Thursday. So that's going to put our normal um, recording schedule uh, out of whack a little bit. So... Uh, I thought we'd get together uh, in anticipation of the Duke game, uh, which is uh, a week from this Saturday. Uh, the, the timing yep. couldn't be worse in terms of not being able to, you know, kind of get together and, and, and chat about hoops. Um, but a couple things are in our favor. One, uh, episode number 10 was devoid of any Syracuse Orange chatter so we've got plenty to catch up on uh and we dispensed with most of our tomfoolery uh last week so we can kind of get down to the the nitty-gritty in terms of uh breaking down um su athletics uh q's hoops and specifically the duke game and all that uh is surrounding the athletic program in the weeks uh, leading up to that game and uh there's a lot of tomfoolery uh happening now so uh, where do you want to start we got a bunch of stuff um on the well, on the slate uh, pick it and we'll go i mean i guess we can just update on the stadium issue real quick yeah talked about that enough last week yeah that'll be a nice segue uh, because the football schedule also came out so uh, we'll spend a little time with uh with the football team yeah because there's a couple issues with the football team including a a uh an unsubstantiated rumor at this point 
but it was on a very, uh, it, the rumor was found on a, uh, a website, which is generally in the know with these type of things. The UniWatch blog. Uh, I don't like. You ever read that website? Uh, I do. I do read that website, and I don't like where you're going with this. Yeah, well, uh, it may actually be a good thing based on what I thought of the of what they were wearing last year. Uh, there was a rumor that Syracuse is planning a full wholesale. Uh, change to the uniforms, including new pants, new shirt, new helmet, and the introduction of an alternate jersey. Uh, I'll say this much: if it's if they're not primarily unif- blue uniforms like the stuff they wore last year, I'm all for it. You know, I definitely think we need an orange jersey, but I but I have no problem with the helmet as we have it now. That's what I'm really curious about this issue with the change of helmet well see i think that's that's where i'm i'm the most nervous about they introduced that alternate helmet uh last year so i I gotta believe that that was some type of beta testing or, or some type of market research in terms of what merchandising will bear and it got from what i saw you know around social media especially around alumni particularly around alumni who seem to be a little out of touch, that it, it garnered some positive reviews. And I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that that is kind of the direction that we're going to be heading in. And, you know, I'm kind of looking at pictures. Daily Orange um, Sports Blog has, um, has the story that you reference uh, as well yeah. as, a, as a couple images. And they focus on New Jersey's, but I gotta believe that the centerpiece of the uh, uh, of the overhaul is gonna be the helmet. Yeah, of course. So if- and you always gotta remember, Daryl Gross is a total whore. <laughs> <laughs> is he not? He's a hundred percent. He he's always trying to sell our wares. You know, um, which I mean, I guess it's in his interest to make money for the university and the athletic department, but still, come on, man. Uh, first retiring the number 44, you know, then moving all our good games to New Jersey, and then last year, although I've heard from people who saw those uniforms in person that they're way more remarkable when you see them live, and that pictures do them no justice, but I don't know how the hell that works. Yeah, you know, I have a hard time believing I can't see on TV how awesome those things are, uh, how awesome they really are since I'm watching on TV and not at the Dome, you know? Yeah, and there's there's been very few uniform changes that, in in particularly in college football, that you see across the board, regardless of the school, that you say, man, you know what, that's that's remarkable. Most of the changes have, you know, almost kind of a a sideshow effect. Like, what the hell is going on? You know, nobody yeah. sit sits and marvels at the wonder that is Oregon. You know, it's yeah. almost like a train wreck kind of deal. Like, what the hell are they doing? And yep. maybe you'll find a combination or two. Uh, of their uniforms that you're like, oh, okay, you know what? That's kind of cool. And, you know, maybe a high school will start to emulate that. But y- yeah. just look at what is 
you know, popular on the high school levels. Look what is popular on the collegiate levels. And you'll see a common theme. You'll see that tradition. You'll see that consistency. You'll see Alabama. You'll see Michigan. You know, you'll see Ohio State. Those are, you know, those yes, are the solid programs always wear the same uniforms. There's no reinventing themselves. There's no trichanery. Yep. Uh, there's no, you know, need to push merchandising revenue. You know, what are yep. we, the Seattle Mariners? Yeah. I don't know, man. It's just crazy. I, I, I don't understand why we were able to wear the same uniform for 30 years and all of a sudden we got to change it every couple of years now. It's a bit hypocritical in the sense that I don't necessarily mind the basketball uniforms changing. And there were a couple times, you know, during the last 10 years that, you know, you kind of raise an eyebrow and say, okay, hey, what are we, what are we doing here? But, you know, for the most part, that, that seems to change. Basketball is a sport that seems to change with the time yeah. in and of the product, in and of the game itself. Well, yeah, I mean, it's the whole the whole aura about basketball. You know, it's an urban game. You know, it's it's constantly reflecting that type of dynamic, you know. You know, yeah, it's, the, the players change, it's, the style it's a hipper change. Game, you know, absolutely, and uh, that's exactly it. It's a hipper game, it's a hipper audience, and, and you need to stay on top of that. But you know, football is a is a is a different story, and and I don't necessarily think it's hypocritical to say, you know, give me some consistency, give me some tradition, because that's what a football program should be built around. Yep. I do want I do all I ask for though is an orange helmet and an orange jersey. I, and if you wear the orange jersey, don't have us looking like pumpkins like they did six or seven years ago when they had the orange on orange look. You know? Have it with contrast, you know, wear blue pants or something. Uh make it look you can make it look good. We can wear an orange jersey and look good. Yeah, I don't think that's yeah. that's too much to ask for. Yeah, but apparently it has been, you know. I don't know. I don't know. It's not too much to ask for a lot of stuff, but you know, uh, the guy's always trying to create new revenue streams, new revenue streams for us, you know. And that's all good and everything, but come on, man, quit, quit toying with the orange. Yeah, those those orange pumpkin uniforms were were unbelievably horrible. Yeah. And, um, hell, just the fact that he changed the name from Orange Men to Orange kind of pisses me off. You know what? I didn't realize that that was under his regime. Of course it was. Oh, he sucks. Oh, you can sell more shit. You can sell more more shirts if they just say orange. You know, like if he, I don't, I'm not even going to get into that right now. But it's like, all right, yeah, because everybody's lying up to buy women's jerseys, you know? <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> I mean it's so ridiculous. Like you didn't have to change our name officially to to sell stuff that says orange on it. Everybody's yelling, "Let's go orange!" Anyway, but can we? But but why can't we have the jerseys say Orangeman anymore? How cool were those? Yeah, you're right. The basketball jerseys that said Orangeman on them. You're right. He is he is miserable. How about you know how we're we're um. You know, we're always looking for a new special um, limited edition podcast. 
Yeah. We should do a companion podcast to this called Grossed Out. And Yeah, and just go through all his debacles. Yeah. That, that <laughs> we could sell that. I think people <laughs> would be into listening to that. Um we would definitely get more than 40 downloads for for sure on that episode uh, uh, on that uh, podcast. He's, he's such a clown. The man. universal disdain for him is uh, is is particularly high. Yeah, when is a Pac-12 school going to come calling with some big position for him and he can go back out west? Yeah. You got to hope for some – here's what you got to hope for. You got to hope for some scandal at like UCLA or something like that. Or um, I, I don't know if Washington State is high enough profile for him. But maybe uni- – No, that's a step down. Maybe University of Washington. Yeah, University of Washington would be a step up. So yeah. you know, keep our fingers crossed. Maybe we can get him. Yeah. Uh, we can get him oh, back man. out west. Just, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty he's sure just the worst. He's definitely the worst. Um, but I'm pretty sure that um, there's no way his wife can like it here. Why? Do you know anything about his wife, or are you just saying because the weather's so shitty? Yeah, no, because the weather's so shitty. I'm pretty sure she's a West Coast chick. Um, I know. Oh, I'm sure. I know she. Um, I know she was a former athlete. Um, I'm pretty sure that that. Um, but she probably loves New York City, which is why he's always moving all our games down there. Uh, which is true. <laughs> which is true. Um, she. Oh, although she's SU's assistant athletic director for trademark licensing. Oh, that sounds like, you know, that sounds like an evil duo there. How miserable is that? That just sounds terrible. Like she's sitting there conspiring with him on all these new crappy trademarks. And who can veto them? Nobody. Nobody. I don't know, man. I think we need to call Derek Coleman in to clean things up. <laughs> Dave Bing's out of work. Get him over there. Oh, my God. That's right. How How is he not our athletic director? <laughs> I mean, he might not want that job anymore at his age, but come on, man. He would, he would keep things real. No, he wants that job. I wish he would. You know? He was um, the mayor of Detroit for a while. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He decided not to run again this time around. Oh, did you just say that? Yeah, well, I didn't say that explicitly, but I said he's out of a job. Yeah. Um, yeah that's, that's, I mean, but he, he is an entrepreneur, so I guess he has his businesses. I would love uh, I would love to see Dave Bing come back, although there was some talk. I was talking to a guy, um, especially when the um, Bernie Fine story was breaking, that um, if things, you know, if things got sour, um, there was some talk that that Beheim is kind of poising himself or positioning himself to perhaps uh, run the athletic department when he retires anyway. Uh, and there was some talk about how were they going to get rid of Gross uh, if the you know if the Bernie Fine thing turned ugly, uh, yeah. and, and Beheim needed to step aside and and kind of ascend into an administrative role. Um, you know, I'd certainly like to see him. I think he's a he would be a you know obviously a great ambassador of the athletic program. I mean, he is the athletic program. 
But when's he gonna retire? You know, I, what's he gonna be like, Frank Broyles? I, I, you know, Frank Broyles was. He was the athletic director at Arkansas forever. He was the former football coach. He had to be the athletic director till he was like seventy-eight years old or something ridiculous like that. Yeah, what's Beheim? Sixty-eight, right? Yeah, Beheim. Yeah, Beheim. I think is sixty-eight. I, I mean, he's got to have an. Uh, I want to say mean, he's a good-looking sixty-eight, but seriously. You know, how old is he going to be when he retires? He doesn't look like he plans on stepping down. I don't want him stepping down, but. I want to say you know, he's got at least three years, but that's probably five to eight years in reality, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, like, look at him. He doesn't look like an old dude. No, and he's relevant. You know, and he's he, still recruiting well. He can recruit with the best of them. And he's winning. He's got, you know, he's got a great support staff. Um, you know, I think Hopkins is young enough that he he can wait that out. You know, well that's the problem. Hopkins, you know, that's what I've been reading. Is like, how much longer is he going to want to sit around and wait to take that job? You know, he's passed up other jobs like USC and you know high profile jobs. Now, you I- know, places he can move into and and places places that he could move into and not only win places that could pay him. Like USC. Now that's the thing is is what is he getting now? What's his contract? He's a coach in waiting, um, so I'm assuming that he's getting. You know, he's not obviously not getting Coach B money, but he's yeah. he's got to be getting close to head coaching money. Um, oh you know, yeah, to I'm keep sure him it's there. more than what it's probably more than what head coaches are getting at a lot of like these mid major and low major schools. You know. Yeah, he's got to be making more than Louis Orr. Yeah, yeah. I mean, where where's Lou? Lou Yours at a Mac school, right? He's a Bowling Green. Bowling Green, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much Bowling Green makes, but it's got to be definitely more than the coaches in the Northeastern Conference, definitely. Yeah. No. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. And um, probably in the in the uh, Metro Atlantic Athletic, which uh, you know, not to be confused with the Mac, is the Mac. The Mac. Right. Yeah. Um, I- <laughs> You know, I try to put myself in in you know in those kind of shoes, especially when you're talking about you know athletics. Like, what would I do? Um, I, I would like to think that I would I'd stick around. You know, I, if I was in Hopkins' place, I, now I understand the drive. Uh, he, you know, he's an athlete himself. He's obviously transitioned into coaching. You know, he's got a, a high level of pride, and he's got something to prove to himself. You know, as yeah. well as the the basketball community at large. So, yeah, listen. I'm chomping at the bit to get my own program, but yep. when you're so associated with a program, it, he's got—he literally has the opportunity to step in and be one of two coaches that will coach the program for 75 years. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, yeah, I mean, he's into his 40s now. Yeah, Beheim was only 30 when he took over. Right, that's what I mean. So let's say that he's another five years before he steps down. Um, you know, that that still gives, you know, Hopkins, what, a 15, 20-year run? Yeah. If he's successful. Yep. And the other side of it, you know, Hopkins, like, he could have gone to these other big schools. But even, you know, what, what half a million dollars buys you in the Syracuse area – is a hell of a lot more than it buys you in L.A. Absolutely, and the job security, and yep. you know the the notoriety, and you know the 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 st- 
star power, for lack of a better word. Um, yeah. Those guys are gods in central New York. Yep. But, of course, the other side of it is if Hopkins goes somewhere else, you know who else is sitting on that bench? J-Mac. G-Mac. Yep. <laughs> now, that's that's an interesting story because, you know, what does a guy like McNamara do? You know, does yeah. then he sit around? Nobody – it goes Jim Beheim, Mike Hopkins, Jerry McNamara. Wasn't Adrian Autry also on the staff right now? Yeah. Yep. Um I mean, that's three really good Syracuse basketball players in the past 20 years. But in terms of generations, you know, in terms of uh, of obviously there were folks who have greater star power than each of those yeah. three in each of their generations. But just by the fact that they've been around with the program and they're associated with the program and they didn't have storied professional careers or they didn't have questionable professional careers, you know, or they didn't flame out and are now, you know, bankrupt. The the fact that they are associated with Syracuse athletics in and of itself makes those three guys, you know, a, um, a really interesting combination. And what does, you know, what does McNamara do? I mean, he could go back and be the mayor of Scranton. But yeah, yeah. but this is the only other place where he is, you know, as close to a living legend as a guy like him is going to be. You know? Yeah. Yep. No, I understand. So it'd be but, interesting. Uh, it'd be interesting. I, I, no, I think about that because I'm thinking about if Hopkins leaves. You know, it's like we there's a 30 year old guy sitting on the bench. You know. Yeah, um. What um. What are the you know, kind of what's the feedback on him? He does get a lot of play, you know, for being a, um, a you know, what's he, three or four? Yeah, three or four years on the bench. Yeah, I mean, all I've really heard about him is his work with Trevor Cooney because, of course, they're going to talk about that because they're similar players. Right. And the fact that they're both white guys who are proficient three-point shooters. And that's kind of where, where, I was, where I was gravitating towards in terms of, you know, the amount of play that he gets um, as being an yeah. influence. Um, but is he an X's and O's guy? See, I don't, I don't know anything about that at all. But uh, you'd have to think he must have some skill with the X's and O's. But I don't even think he gets into that right now, you know, because he's so far down the bench right now. And then there's no doubt that that he was a gamer. There's no doubt that he had heart. There was no doubt that you know he was a vital, uh, a vital contributor to. To not only the championship team, but even more so to the runs that they made later in his career. But I, he just doesn't—he doesn't—and I could be totally wrong. And I'm just basing this on, you know, a distant observation. But he doesn't seem you know, to be the brightest bulb in the chandelier. Oh, GMAC? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't—I don't have any. Uh, I don't know anything about that one way or another. I mean, he might. He might not be an idiot, but he might just be one of those guys who's obsessed with his sport, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, Hopkins Hopkins has a way about him. and Well, yeah, Hopkins, Hopkins has the look. And one. he handles himself in a certain way, and, yep. you know, he he speaks in a certain manner, and, and he, obviously, he's been being uh, crafted to, to, to take over for you know, however long it's been at this point, um, but he's got it. He's ready, you know, and that's not to say that McNamara can't follow the same path or won't get the same treatment, but 
uh, I think Hopkins had a step ahead in terms of, you know, his not only his basketball IQ, but you know, his his just general intellect, his general approach to. Well, another thing about Hopkins, why he's why he was named that guy too. He he's he's our top recruiter now. You know, he's the one responsible for bringing in like Tyler Ennis and. Like he's the one that's been bringing in all like the big dogs or most of them. Like he's he's the closer. That's why they want to keep Hopkins too. Yeah, and it yeah. makes it makes total sense. And I think that's you know that's one of the reasons why there wasn't uh, you know an outcry um, when Bernie Fine left. Uh, obviously, there were the circumstances surrounding that were nefarious, yeah. you know, to begin with. But um, they started to clash. Uh, yeah. In terms of, you know, in in terms of their roles and, you know, fine became expendable once, you know, once Hopkins was able to kind of assert himself uh, in the role that he has now. And you're right, man. He is a closer. He's a living room guy. Yep. Yep. And he, I'm sure he comes off very well. I mean, he like you're saying about his look and everything, like he looks like the guy that has it all together. Yeah. You know, no like doubt. He looks like the guy's got his shit together, and you don't mind sending your kid off to go play with him. You know, I think the program would be in in really good hands um, if he were to take over to tomorrow. Um, yep. You know, luckily he doesn't have to. Um, you know, I think it'll be a couple years, and 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 rightfully so. Um, but how soon? Who knows, man? Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I don't really. I mean, that's what's crazy. It's just. It's just amazing. You know, it's like, I don't know how much longer Bayham can be there. And then boggles the mind that he's like 68. Cause when you look at him, he does not look like what, uh, you know, he doesn't look like what a lot of 68 year old coaches look like. Cause usually coaches are very stressed guys and they look a lot older than they are. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, they age, they age, um, they have a lot terrible. more, they age terribly. <laughs> they have a lot more, um, miles on their tires, but you got to think that, uh, that Mrs. B has something to do with that. And, you know, her being so much younger than him, you know, probably contributes to, you know, a little bit more of an active lifestyle, a little bit, you know, more of a, an easier yeah. demeanor. He's, he's, he said that. So, um, you know, that kind of stuff goes a long way. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, he loves the golf. <laughs> he does love the golf. Um, all right, so since we were devoid of of any uh, Q's talk last week, we've got a, a bunch of stuff to cover. Um, going back to football for a minute, uh, schedule right. came out. Yeah, for t- yeah, the schedule was released this earlier this week. I'm staring at it right now. Um, while while I pull up. Um, some stuff. Why don't you Why don't you run through that? Um, well, the season kicks off with a home date on August thirtieth versus FCS com- competitor opponent Villanova, uh, which is actually a pretty good team as far as the FCS categories go. Uh, and then there's a bye the next week. Then we start in our uh, out of conference schedule. We play at Central Michigan. Oddly enough. You know, it's not all we we've done it before, but we don't do it too often where we go on the road to play in the Mac. Uh, that's on September 13th. And after that, we play Maryland at home. 
which is actually going to be an out-of-conference game next year because Maryland will be a member of the Big Ten next oh, that's season. That's right. Yeah, for which, uh, you know, they're they're suing the ACC right now, I believe. They filed a countersuit against the ACC, uh, but that's a story for another day because uh, they're still trying to negotiate the buyout, uh, which is in the tens of millions of dollars. Then on the September 27th, our favorite game, the the annual affair at MetLife Stadium this year against... <laughs> This year we're playing Notre Dame. Warm up the Centro buses. Yeah, yeah. We've got a home game. Parking will be at the South Campus, you know, Skytop. You'll park your car and then you'll hop on the Centro buses and they'll shuttle you over to the stadium five hours away. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, this is is when we get an immediate schedule. September 27th, we've got Notre Dame at MetLife. Then the next week we play Louisville. At home. Then we have Florida State at home the week after that. So three in a row, three games in a row we're playing against quality competition there. But And, and all three of them are home games. <laughs> Technically. Technically, uh, right. Yeah. And uh, Florida State, the, the key there is to see if we can hold them under 50. You know, that'd be a nice little, uh, you know, I think uh, we lost 56 to three to them last year. And um, we play Wake Forest after that. And then after that is Clemson. This is like a murderer's row, man. Notre Dame, Louisville, Florida State, Wake Forest, then Clemson. Isn't that? That's crazy. That's going to be brutal. If we can win two of those games in that stretch, we'll be all right. And we also have Duke. Uh, Yeah, well, we got North Carolina State, then Duke. But uh, I don't think Duke's going to be as good as they were last year. Yeah, I was just going to ask. What's their... uh I mean, everybody's just guessing that, I guess, based on the fact that they are Duke. And that was the first time I think they ever won 10 games. Or maybe the first time they'd won it since 1940 or something. But whatever the case is, um, you know, Duke might have a quality team. But I got to think we have, you know, we, we got them at home. I think we have to be able to beat Duke at home. You know? Yeah, I mean, and I would agree. Have, I would hope. I'd hope that that's a game we can win. Yeah, I mean, we have two home games, and we finish the season on the road. We have a bye, then we go to Pittsburgh on the twenty second of November, and Thanksgiving weekend is the game at Boston College, that's which a, is always which is uh, an instant rivalry again. That's a tough schedule, man. Yeah, I mean that that stretch from September twenty seventh to October twenty fifth. Five games and four of them are against like, you know, three of them are against teams that finished in the top ten, I believe, or top fifteen, you know. And then Notre Dame, you know, who knows? They they're usually good. Well, that that could be a four win season, dude. Is that is that the dog in the background <laughs> shaking? The dog? Yeah, that's the dog in the background. Yeah, I've heard that a few times. At first, I thought you were playing with your keys, and then I no. Since it snowed here, they had to uh, they had to sit in the mudroom all day because they're so wet and and smelly. So they just uh, uh, they did their uh, they did their time. Now they're looking for a little loving. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Um, but that's a that's a tough schedule, dude. That's a that could be a four win season. Yeah, you got. You figure Villanova's a win. You gotta be Villanova. Going on the road 
I don't know what type of team Central Michigan has, and it's on the road. Yeah. Year in and year out, there they put up they put up a pretty competitive program. Yeah. So you got to figure it's a fifty fifty shot. Let's take it as a win. Maryland, yeah. that's Maryland is we, horrible. We, I'm going to take that as a win get, too. Take since that we as a win. At home, and we beat the hell out of them last year. I I don't think on a neutral site that you're going to take Notre Dame down. Um, Louisville, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to be playing a new quarterback. Louisville, that's Bridgewater's off to the NFL. Okay, at a home game, prime time, you should win that. Now, you're not going to win the Florida State game. Wake yep. Forest, we got embarrassed by Wake Forest this year. You're not going to beat Clemson yeah. at home. I don't know what NC State is going to do. NC State was terrible last year, and we beat them at – that was our first ACC win ever was against NC State. Uh, I mean, we're playing them in the Dome. So that bodes – I mean, we got to think Terrell Hunt has to be a hell of a lot better if he's playing as well as he played in the bowl game. And I expect him to be playing better than that because he'll have a whole year under his belt plus a a spring practice as the established starter in the summer and fall practices, you know. But I mean, what's the you know what's the upside? Six wins, seven wins, seven wins is what we got to go for this year. Uh, that's gonna you know? that's we're gonna have to put a pretty good squad on the field to. Uh, to make that happen because it's it's certainly we we definitely we've got I would say we've got three to four losses on the schedule. Yeah. Going well, into I look the at it this way. I look at it this way. You get outside of you get outside of well I'm not even gonna say Louisville. You get outside of Florida State and Clemson, everybody's beatable outside of that. You know? Yeah. Louisville's probably a step above the other ones a little bit. Notre Dame might be slightly above, but I think we have the ability to beat any of those teams. Of course, the question is, you're dealing with, you know, if those teams are very similar to us, like teams like Pittsburgh and BC who are very similar to us, they have as good of a chance to beat us as we do them, you know? Well, I mean, that's the thing. You're going to Pittsburgh. Yep. You're going to Boston College. Yep. um, And you're giving up a home game against Notre Dame. Not that you would yeah. necessarily get them at home anyway, but the point is, well, you could... But we did play them at home in this century, and we beat the hell out of them. But it, you could fill that with, you know, with a home-and-home home against, you know, a lesser opponent, you know, that yeah. that is a winnable game, you know? I, I don't know who that yeah. opponent is off the top of my head, but, you know, somebody that's at least a, a legitimate draw... Well, Notre Dame now has that deal with the ACC where they're going to have to play at least five ACC teams a year or something like that. Right. You know about that deal? Yeah, because they're in, they're in the conference for the non-revenue yeah. sports. So I think in the future we can be in a position where we don't have to go play them in New Jersey since it's now a requirement that they have to play teams from the ACC. Um, but I'm pretty sure we'll go play them in New Jersey regardless. Well, I'm imagining a world where Daryl Gross isn't making the decision. <laughs> All right. If he wasn't making the decision back in uh, 
back when we played them the first time, the first three games around back in the early part of the uh, of the 2000s. And of course, that was really weird because we did a two for one, which we rarely do. But it was just to get just so we could get Notre Dame in the stadium. And we ended up we won two out of those three games. Right. You know, we beat them. I remember we beat the hell out of them in the Dome. The next year, I think we lost, but then I think it was Greg Robinson's last game where we beat them in overtime, was it? It might not even have been overtime, but we were losing that game like it was like a sure loss, and somehow we pulled that victory out of our asses. I got to look that up. Yeah, 2008, right? Was it 2008 his last season, or was it 2007? Uh, it was 2008, no, November. 2008, yeah. November 2008. All right, here's the ESPN recap of the game. Dantley, ah, oh, that was when Adrian Dantley's son was playing quarterback. Cameron Dantley. I uh, couldn't pull over. Oh, was that the game? They, did they fire Charlie Weiss after that game? Yeah. They must have. Yeah. Yeah. Through an 11-yard touchdown pass to Dante Davis with 42 seconds left to lead Syracuse to a 24-23 victory. Yeah, it was the uh, PAT that officially won the game for us. I remember that. That was ridiculous. That was ridiculous. Yeah, we were losing 23-10 to in the fourth quarter. You know, if, if, if our team would have played like every game was Greg Robinson's last game, we would have been undefeated. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good man that's good um but of course along with the announcement of the football schedule and and uh florida state uh coming in for a conference game they've got a um a uh a three-pack football promotion uh football yep. ticket promotion that they're really pushing and for 125 bucks you get the florida state game yeah, you get the Villanova game, so that's the you get the you get the marquee matchup, and then you get the 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 dog, and then you get to choose one of the um, um you know one of the mid tier matchups: Louisville, NC State, Duke, and Maryland, and they're pitching that for 125 bucks, which you're gonna get you're gonna get uh you know probably an upper end zone. Seat. You're gonna get, yeah. you know, obviously one of the worst seats in the house because they're gonna sell the season ticket packets for, you know, for the better locations. But then, what's the season ticket package gonna be? It's gonna be two hundred seventy-five, a two hundred fifty-dollar season ticket package. Because obviously, if you're gonna if you're gonna let people carve out, you know, the the premier game, you, you, you got to pay a premium for that. So, well. I guess part of that is, I mean, usually like when they're trying to sell those tickets to like Villanova, you know, like Rhode Island or whatever they've played in the past, they sell, they drop the prices on those tickets so hardcore because it's, you know, that type of team. So I guess they figure they're putting all the value in the Florida State ticket for the most part or probably uh, a three game deal like that. They're putting probably at least 60% of the value in the Florida State ticket. But you know this doesn't this doesn't do anything to you know to kind of solve that attendance problem. This doesn't do anything 
to you know kind of build the hype around the season because you're letting the fan base or you're letting the casual fan get the premier event and yeah. not requiring them you know to commit to anything else yeah sure you're going to get the gate money now for the Villanova game that you wouldn't have gotten if you if you know you just relied on individual game sales but well, I guess the hope well I'm sorry go on no go ahead go ahead well, I'm thinking. I I imagine they must be hoping that if you're gonna, if the one way you can get a Florida State ticket is by having to buy it as part of a package, that maybe you'll be like, screw it, we got the tickets anyway. Let's go see him play Nova. Well, a hundred percent. I'm saying, don't give that casual fan the opportunity to carve out a half a season. Make them commit to yeah. the full season, because then you know what. In addition to saying, you know what, maybe we will go see Nova. You say, hey, listen, I spent two hundred fifty bucks on these tickets, basically to see Florida State because that's if you're going to buy the Florida State game on you know the secondary ticket market, you know you're probably going to pay a hundred, hundred and twenty five bucks just you know to get in the building anyway. So you're going to get yeah. you know another one, two, three, four, five, six. You're going to get another six games for an additional hundred bucks. You know, hey, let's let's take the kids, you know, let's go, you know, let's go see a game or, you know, call somebody up and, you know, you do catch the NC State game. You make them commit to the full package. You make them commit, you know, to the full season. And, you know, by giving them the option to to essentially buy the Florida State game for 125 bucks. Is, yeah. is what you're letting them do, which is what they would probably pay if they went and got it on the secondary ticket market. They're going to just throw the that Villanova ticket and that Duke ticket away, essentially. But then the other side of it is they wouldn't have sold those Duke tickets and Villanova tickets anyway. Which is fair enough, but I would say don't give anybody the option you make them buy the full ticket package the problem i get where you're coming from but i think the problem is they've been failing with that tactic for too long i think i think they might be hoping maybe they get out there beat the hell out of villanova and might make people want to come out and see them again the next week you know you got to get people in the stadium to get excited about coming out there again you know yeah, I just think it's a lot easier to swallow two tickets than it is to swallow five tickets. So yeah. if, if I buy the three-ticket plan, I know I'm going to the Florida State game. That's why I bought this. Of course. Yeah. You know, um, uh, the Villanova game, is that – that's the week before Memorial Day. Labor Day. Uh, Labor Day. Yeah. So you know, might you might get – you might get some folks who don't have plans, and they, you're right. They might go out and might want to see the opener. Um, you know, you, you get folks to head to that game that necessarily wouldn't go to that game. But if you make them, but there's going to be just as many people who who toss the extra two tickets or try to sell them on StubHub or you know yeah. try to give them away to friends than actually use them. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. But if but, you um, make them buy the season ticket package for 200 bucks, okay, yes, you're significantly discounting the the Florida State game, but you know, at 200 bucks, you're still talking 30 30 dollars. 
Well, have you looked it up? Is that how much the season uh, no, tickets are? All right, that's the other thing. Is that they haven't they haven't come out with their season ticket packages. Right now, all you can do is purchase um, a deposit or you can purchase yes, a guarantee. It, so they're trying to figure out what they what what they want to value each game. Exactly, at. which is bullshit. You know, yeah, at this at this point, at this level, every ticket should have the same face value because that's our program is is a mid tier program. Yeah, you know, and you should benefit from supporting that program by getting the Florida State game at the same price you get the Duke game at. Listen, if you're going to be here for the Duke game and you're going to be here for the Florida State game, we're going to reward you as a fan base and we're going to give you the ticket at the same price. We realize you're going to be overpaying for the Villanova game, but you know what? The economics of ticket resale shouldn't come into play. You know, I'm still going to be writing a check for, you know, whatever they're going to end up charging. And what's crazy, it used to not be that way. You know, it wasn't that way a few years ago. It wasn't until people quit showing up for the games that they started doing all this, you know? Right. Right. They started figuring they got to start changing it up, you know, uh, putting higher prices on what they considered the games that people are going to want to come to anyway. And all of that, and having worked in the, you know, in the ticket uh, resale industry, all that contributes to... You know the idea of of disposable tickets or disposable opponents because let's say they tier their games and obviously your Florida State, your Notre Dame, uh, and your and your Louisville are going to be a top tier. Yeah, and then you say your Duke, your NC State, and your Maryland um, are going to be the second tier, and then your Villanova is your throw-in game. So let's say they say the value of the of your upper end zone ticket is 65 for Florida State, but it's only 20 for the Villanova game. As a consumer, I have no interest in going to the Villanova game, so what am I going to do? I'm going to try to unload it. I'm going to sell it on StubHub. But because it's only 20 bucks, I'll be willing to take 10 bucks for it. I'll be willing to take 12 bucks for it. But, yeah. but you know what? Nobody's going to buy that game because that game has no perceived value. So as you know, as somebody who is trying to sell it for ten bucks, I'm like, I paid twenty. I'm not going to take less than ten. I'd rather eat it than give it away and go through that hassle. And that's what the people are ended up doing. They're ended up eating it. If that ticket had a face value of thirty dollars, the same face value as the Florida State game, you know what would happen? Everybody would show up for the Villanova game because they want to get their money's worth, and everybody would sell the Florida State game because they could get four to five times the face value of that. I get what you're saying. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. They're kind of cannibalizing themselves, and it's no wonder people aren't showing up because you know what the athletic department is doing? It's telling them this game doesn't mean anything. This game isn't worth anything. So guess what? You know, it's funny. They used to never play teams – like out of division like that, and but the problem is because they used to not play those teams because they couldn't sell the games, you know. Right. And, but the problem is the NCAA went to this twelve game schedule and it kind of forced our hands, or forced Syracuse's hands. They used to never play. It was rare occasion they would play a lower division team because they knew one thing about the Syracuse market was people weren't going to buy tickets to go in there and see them play Rhode Island or Maine or Villanova. 
you know, but when they came out with this 12 game schedule, you know, it's kind of, I mean, you see it all over uh, major college football now. You know, teams are, you know, they're, they have teams that sometimes are playing two FBS schools a year just because it's, you know, it's that much harder to schedule games now. Yeah. Because yeah. it's, there's too many damn games. Oh, that's true. You know, and that's the problem. I mean, I think they'd have an easier time if they could just go schedule, you know, you know, go in there and schedule another Big Ten team or something in that spot. You know, but the problem is those teams aren't out there for them to schedule. Yeah, no, that's true. The whole system is is certainly a mess. And, you know, it's not going to get fixed in 2014, so that's kind of what we got to deal with. You know, there's going to be yeah, a three-game There's going to be a three-game ticket plan out there that, you know, is going to sell out. Um, probably you got to figure will set some type of attendance record. It doesn't seem to matter what has happened in terms of quality of play in the past. It just seems like buildings now always find room for a couple extra people so you can set some type of attendance record. So I guarantee we'll set an attendance record, uh, probably you know lose by 63, and then everything will be emptied out before beer sales are done. But, um, I mean, the thing they need to do... It's not even about selling tickets. They just have to be more consistent and start winning. You know? Because that's what sells tickets. People will show up if they win. Yeah. And and whatever you think about playing teams like Villanova, you know, even when you go to LSU, they play in 90-something thousand seat stadium. When they play the division, when they play those lower division teams, that stadium's not packed. If anything's going on, people are there for the tailgate. You know, no one had, even there, it's just that it's, Still ridiculous because there's nice something thousand people that generally have tickets to those games. <laughs> yeah. So it might be eighty thousand people show up to a game like that. So it's not the thing is we're just playing on a smaller, a smaller stage than that, you know. So when we have fifty thousand people that can fit our stadium, if you're playing a team that draws low interest, you know, it shows when you only got twenty five thousand people in there. Well, and here's the difference, and and this is why LSU can can still draw, you know, eighty percent of their venue when they play somebody like Appalachian State or you know or or one of those other F uh, FCS schools. It's yeah. because that ability to get into that game lets you know lets a dude like me see an LSU game where I normally wouldn't have had the opportunity or it might let that guy bring his kid you know yep. uh, on a on a uh, to a game that he normally wouldn't be able to get a you know a 10 or 12 year old kid into that's and, that's what yeah. we're missing we 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 don't have that that that's level of fandom or that fan yeah. base isn't developed or redeveloped again to the point where listen the guy who wants to bring his 10 year old kid can't because it's sold out every game and he doesn't want to pay 50 bucks Ex- to bring his exactly. kid. You need you need to buy the season tickets. You need to buy the whole package to get those tickets to the LSU game and people that have the whole package are more willing to say here. Here I got two tickets to give away cuz they don't care to go that week. Exactly. Or they're going to sell them cheap, you know, on the secondary market. I had met you know? one of um one of um 
one of the big benefactors at Penn State. He would he would uh, resell. He owned a bunch of tickets. He you know he yeah. had his prime seats, and then he owned two or three other sets of season ticket packages for whatever reason. Um, and he'd always try to unload them depending on the game, and the you know everyone had a different resale value. But uh, he was constantly offering up tickets to the games that you know he didn't want to go to who you know whoever it was whether it was yeah. temple or um you know some of the lesser division one teams that were going up there and you know he'd call our office and say hey listen you know I, i'm i got a big tailgate i got a benefactor um you know parking pass why don't you you know why don't you come up we do a lot of business together uh you know i'll give you a ticket for you know for the game and like that's what happens at big programs yeah yep we just need to get back there and the thing was, you know, when 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 we were there, those stadiums were generally, you know, those games were, you know, there was usually at least 40,000 people in the stadium. Yeah. You know, it, it was a hot ticket. It was the thing people were doing. It's just that, you know, you start losing for a few years. You know, people quit caring so much, especially when you're at a school that is – well, A, it's a private school, so it's smaller. So you're not going to instantly have uh, 15,000 students in the stadium because that's all your campus is anyway, and every student go- doesn't go to the games. You know, and on top of it, you know, your alumni base, you know, it generally is five hours or more away from the campus's location. Right. You know, because people graduate Syracuse and they move to – and for the most part, they moved to a big city. And all the big cities are five hours or more away from Syracuse, New York. You know, that's kind of the way it works there. Yeah. I, I think that has a lot to do with it. So it's they they need to work harder to develop that, that um, you know, the local fan base that, you know, has Syracuse University as their, you know, where it's their option to see football is that you know you you need to sell those people really hard, but and it was a hell of a lot easier to do when you had Donovan McNabb and Marvin Graves and Marvin Harrison and guys like that. That certainly is winning cures all the problems. Yeah, exactly. If we if Syracuse out of you know somehow out of the blue goes nine and three next year and then uh, wins a bowl game, finishes ten and three, and then you know they'll start people will start coming to the games. You know, it's just people aren't dying to go watch a mediocre team. You know, well, and which is what six and six is. You know, you know um, who is not a mediocre team is the men's basketball program, and they certainly don't have uh, problems uh, drawing people out to the games, and they're no. not going to have problems drawing people uh, to the dome on Saturday when they yeah. take on Duke. Now. I think this game has lost a little bit uh, of his luster uh, as the season has progressed, and and you know Duke is not a, a top ten team, but still a, a, certainly a dangerous uh, team on paper, even a more dangerous team uh, on the court, and you know this deserves all the hype that it's getting regardless of what happens between now and and then um we've got the Miami game on Saturday we've yeah, got the, the Georgia Tech game, game on Wednesday or the I'm sorry the Wake Forest Wake game Forest. Yeah. on Wednesday 
Um, both games we should be able to win. I think both of those teams are, are making adjustments. Yeah, um, Duke dispatched Miami dispatched Miami last night at Miami. I was really hoping Miami would win that one. Yeah, yeah. for the sake of us playing them this weekend. No, it would have been nice yeah. to, to take um, to take some air out of their tires. Um, yeah, because Duke kind of handled them. Two two aspects of this game that I that I'd like to cover. Um, one are the X's and O's uh, of the but, game. Um, and the other is the hype that's building up. Well, can we, before we get into that, can we touch on the Pittsburgh game last week yeah, first? No, absolutely. Let's, let, let's, let's talk a little bit about that then. We, I just want to talk about that because that's behind us and we're going to talk about that and move on. Uh, Pittsburgh, like as we forecasted, was going to be a tough game because it always is. And all I really want to say is Tyler Ennis is the man, and the fact that we won that game still amazes me because I thought our goose was cooked when we were down by three. I think there was about three, less than four minutes left in the game, down by three, and then we go down court and we you know, turn the ball over or whatever. I'm like, we may never score again. We're down by three. Pittsburgh gets another bucket here. This game is over. You know, the way they were playing D and the way the buckets were hard to come by. I I am still amazed at the way we closed that game out. Tyler Ennis was amazing. Not only did he has got ice water in his veins. Not only did he did he put that team on his shoulders, the fact that he was able to uh to drive the lane first to his right, then to his left. Yeah. To close out the game is is amazing. Um, yeah, he, you know, he does. You're right. He's got ice water through his veins, and you know, I think he was rewarded um, this week. What did he get? Freshman, co freshman of the rookie, week. It was the third time he's got rookie of the week for the ACC. That's pretty you know? impressive in a league that's got uh, Jabari Parker. Yeah, Jabari Parker, who is the consensus best freshman in the country. You know, it, it's uh, it's it's kind of amazing. Uh, one other side note on that game, though, is when he went in the lane like that, there was throughout much of the game, one of my biggest problems was that they weren't penetrating the lane enough. And, I mean, he did it when he needed to do it, but it really frustrates me sometimes when I when it seems like they, you know, will start dicking around instead of doing, you know, just taking it to the heart, you know, they'll start settling for jump shots. It, it blows me away. Yeah, and in a game like that, um, Pittsburgh gave us enough opportunity, you know, to close the gap that all we needed to do was take advantage of it. Um, from the eight-minute mark of the second half, um, yeah. Six-minute mark of the second half, nah, five-minute mark. They didn't score. Their last field goal was six oh two of the second half. Yeah. So they left the door wide open, but you know, we we didn't. Obviously, we took advantage of it because we were able to come back and 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 win, but. Not being able to close it, not being able to really take advantage of those, you know, those opportunities will come back 
to haunt us, you know, at a different game, at a different time, especially come tournament time. But I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, we didn't have the ability to, you know, to, to step on their necks because we only played seven guys. Yeah. At that um, point, uh, who yeah. – uh, Ennis, Fair, and um, did Grant pay, play 40 minutes? I don't think he played 40 minutes because he had some – he got some foul trouble in that game, I think, right? Um, No, it was Grant. Grant. Grant Fair and, played and Ennis minutes, played 40, played minutes. 40 minutes. Yep. All right. Um, um, I mean, that's how it's going to go because Daywan Colvin's hurt for the whole season now. We were talking about that last week or or, or week before yeah. where it just seemed fishy. and. Yep. It certainly was, and and I don't know if it's a combination of he just wasn't getting the right treatment, or if he just isn't you know that that tough. If he's a little soft, or if it's a combination of both, you know. And I, it's probably a combination of both. I think they probably got a little frustrated with him. Um, I think that that hindered his recovery, and ultimately, you know, kind of led to you know surgery where. Maybe if that's Grant, I, and no, I don't know the injury, um, and I certainly can't. You know, I certainly don't want to question the kid, and I, I and certainly don't you know want to call him out on a legitimate injury that requires surgery, right? Yeah, well, they they the story said that the train staff thought they could thought they could address it, you know, with with non invasive, you know, treatment where they're just, you know, I don't know what what that entails. You know, wrapping it or whatever, and it turns out I don't know if it's related to the MCL issue he had last year because you remember last year he had surgery as well. You know, he had an MCL issue and he was out last year, and then so the question becomes: Is he going to be injury prone? Is he injury prone? Yeah, and that's you know? the thing. That's that's why it seemed fishy because I think yeah. if that's if that's Grant, if that's fair, even if that's Christmas, I think. I think maybe those guys kind of fight through it. And if it's an injury that the, the training staff is saying, listen, we're going to try to manage it. We're going to try yeah. to, you know, to take some time to let it recover. Uh, generally speaking, that's kind of an injury. What, you know, that's code for this guy just isn't responding. You know, very yeah. seldom do you, you know, you don't hear of an Achilles you know, injury, or you don't, you know, you don't hear of a, of, uh, you know, of a major injury that they try to work through. You know, they, they, I don't want to diss on the kid too hard right now because I don't know. And Bayheim sounded really, he, he legitimately sounded upset about it because, you know, he was saying the way he had developed so much this year and he was getting better, you know, so. I'm not about. I I don't want to. I don't want to call the kid a slacker right away or anything like that. You know. No, no, no. By by no means would I say that he's a slacker. But I do. I I would say that he um, probably, you know, skews toward injury prone. Yeah. You know more than than he's a gamer. Yeah, yeah. I I, I guess I get where you're coming from. Uh, I mean, last year I don't know. If, I don't know if last year's injury had anything to do with the fact that he was so severely overweight at the time. But this year, he had taken off a lot of that weight. You have no clue what it is. All they call it is a lower leg injury. 
Uh, I think he's supposed to have surgery on Tuesday. Maybe they'll tell us what the surgery is. <laughs> he finally has it because they haven't told us anything about what the injury is. Yeah. I mean, not that they have to because it's, you know, there's privacy issues, but still. Yeah, but but a lot of times programs go out of their way to kind of protect, you know, the player when there's, you know, issues of, you know, of, you know, character or, or, or fortitude. Um, but this that's why it just seems fishy. This doesn't seem like a, a program rally around a guy who's, a, you know, kind of a two-time hard luck case. It sounds yeah. kind of like a... You know, where they might know something that we don't know. But, um, you know, I don't want to disparage the kid and, you know, hope he heals and I hope that it's okay and he's not, you know, serious because, you know, we can be a better team with him on the court. I think the biggest, one of the biggest problems of not having him available is it's going to be foul issues. That's five more fouls we're not able to use, you know, and we got. Kata down there and Christmas in there and you know sometimes those guys pick up fouls pretty quickly. Yeah, it was a little disturbing to see that um, that Roberson didn't get uh, any play in a close game because he had been yeah. he had been seeing um, he had been seeing some minutes uh, in the rotation. But now I'm wondering if that's going to change now that they know they're never getting Dewan Coleman back this year. Uh, something's got to change because I don't I don't know. I mean. I mean, if there's any chance to do something about it, you know, you figure it's going to be over these next two games when you're playing. Uh, I mean, especially Wake Forest, who we're supposed to beat. You know, uh, I mean, Miami gave us a tough game the first time around. And, you know, but, uh, you know, hopefully there'll be opportunities in, uh, you know, at least one of these next two games to see what, to see whether there's any more, uh, you know, development in that kid's game. You know, because he's got you can't you can't learn by watching. He's going to have to play. Yeah. You know, not necessarily that you want to throw him to the dogs against Duke or anything, but you're going to have to play him at some time. Yeah. Uh, I will say this much: I was impressed by Raheem Christmas in the Pittsburgh game. He had a very good game. Yeah, I think he had ten points, and two of those, the last two were definitely you know those those skyhook shots. Yeah. You know, I was amazed by that. Now, if that dude can contribute that, I'll be happy. He just needs to pick up on the rebound a little bit. We were getting our asses kicked on the boards. <laughs> we did get killed. We did get killed. I, I, I saw That's what kept hitting the game, was get, kicking our asses on the offensive glass. Well, they had only shot something ridiculous, like maybe 30-something percent from the floor. Um, oh, they were terrible. But – their second chance points were through the roof. I think they outscored yes. us like sixteen to two on second they, chance yeah. points. Yeah, it was at least sixteen to two. Yeah, they were kicking our asses, and it was embarrassing. They had s- and then what I with the other part of it was, you know, up until maybe the last five minutes of the game, it seemed like every time the ball went out of bounds and you couldn't tell who it was off, it was always off a Syracuse guy, according to the officials. <laughs> I had a hard time believing that. Um, here's why the Miami. How the hell is every ball that is not clear that it's off of someone always off of us? Did you get that? Did you see that? I did. I did. But I've come to just ignore um, the the quality of officiating. It's well, then, 
It's been and then, like the last two calls like that. A game worked in our favor. I was like, oh, oh, thank God. It's not totally a whole conspiracy because now they're calling it for us. Um, going back to to Christmas and and to some extent the lack of of depth uh, on the front court. Um, what is going to be particularly troublesome, and why I'm a little nervous about Miami, is they they've instituted a one two two zone uh, that they are uh, they're becoming a lot more proficient with, and the way you beat a zone like that is strong interior play, and yep. we just don't have that. Whoa! Yeah, I mean, one thing we don't have is is if Kata could catch the ball. Hold on, hold on one second. I, I'm either uh, dog break. I'm dog either break. getting uh, broken into, or somebody's just walking down the street because that's the same type of reaction we get every time. Yep. So hold on, let me push push these guys away. All right, surprise, surprise. It was nothing. You know the worst part about um, about Miami learning the zone. What's that? Bernie Fine was the one teacher. <laughs> I read that. <laughs> I read that, which is and really the funny. the old Ralph Willard. <laughs> it's terrible. Bernie Fine's down there giving away our secrets. But that, um, for that reason, uh, you know, I'm a little nervous about Miami. I don't necessarily know if it's a look-ahead game. I don't think you're the number two team in the country. I don't think you're undefeated. And, you know, you have look-ahead games, uh, at least under uh, Jim Beheim, But they could match up particularly well. They gave us a scare uh, a couple well, weeks ago. Well, that's the one thing about that, though. Since they already played us really tough, they have to know they can't take them for granted. Absolutely. You know, so so at least you're not going in there, like, as an un... Uh, gone up against an unknown commodity, you know? True. Like, we know what we're going to play against. We're going to play against a team running the zone on us, you know, doing whatever they do. We're just going to have to, you know, they're going to have to find their ways to get in there, you know, get in the paint. You know, uh, Christmas is going to have to play better. Uh, Grant's going to have to not miss dunks and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's going to have to. Grant looks, he looks amazing doing it, but he misses a good number of dunks. (laughs) It's always it's always phenomenal the ones he misses, but they're still misses. He is smooth though, man. Oh, oh, that that follow back that uh, follow up dunk the other day. I don't know. In the, I think it was in the first half when he came and just it, the guy's amazing. He can jump out of the he can jump out of the damn gym. It's yeah, crazy. He really can. He just comes out of nowhere, but he's got to get he he lets himself. Uh, when we were giving up rebounds on um, free throws, he lets himself get pushed out of the way too easily. You know, it's very uh, – I don't like that. Well, th- I think that kind of goes to our conversation, our ongoing conversation with him in terms of the things he does well, he does particularly well. But the parts of his game that he needs to improve, he needs significant improvement. And I think, you know, physicality and positioning – uh, are are two areas that that he can certainly improve on. In addition yeah. to uh, you know his mid range and long range game, so I think that's just what you get. You know he, he's he's a ton of talent, and 
you know, the parts of his game that he excels at, he's, like you said, he's out of the gym. The parts that he's, you know, deficient at are, are, I don't want to say glaring, but, you know, certainly noticeable. Yeah. Uh, Well, uh, well, with the pick game behind us, the Miami-Wake Forest games ahead of us, but not the focus, uh, I guess let's get back to um, the Dukies. So two, there's two storylines to this game. It's obviously uh, what's going to happen inside the dome, and um, there's also the storyline of what's been going on outside the dome in preparation for this game. As you know, going back as long as, as September and October, um, when this game sold out uh, and guaranteed that we would set uh, yet another. Uh, attendance record. So, what do you want to cover first? The the X's and O's of uh, of a, a budding ACC rivalry, or do you want to talk about the shenanigans and tomfoolery that are going on outside of the dome? Um, well, with we our can st- talk about the because because that world has been rocked over the past couple of days due to the weather. The Bayheimberg camp. Yeah, so might as well touch on that. This has caught my attention for a number of reasons, and one of those, uh, one of the schools that I has I was looking at when I was um, in high school uh, was Duke, and I kind of went down, took the tour of those you know Tobacco Road schools, and, and really got a sense of you know what they were all about, and I was super impressed with. Not only the campus, not only the academics, but you know the student body in particular, and and just people buy in to being a Duke Blue Devil, both you know athletically and academically. It's it's just that kind of school, and I got to see um, you know the I got to see the Dean Dome, which was outstanding. I got to see uh, Cameron Indoor Stadium, um, Shashevskyville, the whole deal, yep. and. It just made an impression on me, and it, it stuck. And I have vivid memories of of those images. Syracuse isn't that type of school. Yeah, we just don't have one. We don't have the climate to you know to kind of perpetuate those types of you know collegiate athletic. You know myths and and um, institutions such as Shashevskyville, but we're also a we're also in in a place where you know you're isolated and there's nothing going on but Syracuse athletics, so it doesn't take a lot to be part of the scene if and when you want to be part of the scene. I I don't think I went to. I, I don't think I went to a basketball game until until I was a senior. Oh, really? But once I went, well, then I was in, and I was ingratiated, and there was plenty of room for me physically. Well, I mean, that's the other that's the other side of. Sorry, let me just interject real quick. The other side of it is we have plenty of supply. Exactly. To satisfy the demand. Absolutely, you know? and I think that goes into kind of what. You know, my experience was when I was ready to jump in, I was I had the opportunity and it was provided for me and I didn't have to wait for it. There was a seat waiting with my name on it. And I think that there can be some there's something to be said for that, because we will always have the largest crowd in, you know, a, a given season 
for a given game will always open up the other side of the dome for a marquee matchup. We will always talk about putting the court at center uh, at center, at midfield, you know, for a game like this. Now, will that happen? Probably not. Will it, does it make sense to do it? Probably not. But there's always that buzz. There's always that talk. And it, you, you go back to you know the Georgetown days. You go back to the UConn days. And now you're talking about bringing in a team like Duke. I, those. This isn't the best team that's ever come into the Carrier Dome. This isn't the the. This isn't you know a matchup for the ages. Every year we have something along these lines, and if you haven't been part of the you know the program or you haven't been part of the community up until that point, that's okay because there's room for you. So this yeah. idea of Beheimberg, um, really just kind of really just was kind of amusing. Uh, be- Is this the first time you heard of it um, this season or or this week ever? Because they've done it, it's happened, and I think it's come up in the last, um, I think it's only been created in the last two years, because I've seen about it, and the first time I ever saw about it, it blew me away, because I was like, why do we even need that? There's no, we don't play in a small gym, any student that wants a ticket can get a ticket. Right. You know? Right. And, you know, kind of their approach to this uh, is a little humorous. Now, I guess Ben Glidden uh, is the president yeah, lo- of Otto's Army. Well, I'm looking at this Beheimberg, the world's greatest camp out, um, nationoforange.com, you know, talking about the genesis of Beheimberg. But go on about this Ben Glidden guy. So I love that there had been a couple days of debate on, you know, whether or not uh, it would count if they moved inside the dome to continue yeah. camping out. Um, you know, what constituted keeping your place in line? You know, what were the issues that were associated with, um, you know, with being involved in this camp out? And uh, there's a couple great quotes here. Um, so uh, Ben Glidden says the, the temperatures have been low, but not as low as they're going to get. But then it hit me midday that this isn't safe. <laughs> Oh, this is about how they called them off, and they're not—they're not doing overnight camping. They're anymore. not doing overnight camping, so so because they said people can get frostbite and die. It's going to be minus nine degrees. So he said, um, uh, "What's where's the?" So earlier in the day, he said he believed uh, the campers were equipped to, equipped to handle the cold, and he hoped to maintain the round the clock presence. He said he talked about sending a message of support to Syracuse players and showing Duke fans who the toughest fan base is. (laughs) But after a round of interviews earlier in the day, he began to do some research on hypothermia. (laughs) 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 That's awesome. He called the Syracuse administrator and talked about the importance of safety. By the time Glidden made his decision, he said representatives of the eight groups camping out were in agreement. There's only eight groups of students camping out. Oh, man. Now, I don't know what the limits are in terms of, you know, how many students can be per tent in order to secure, you know, their place in line. But uh, let's just say it's four. Well, I mean, is it eight groups in terms of eight groups or like or is eight groups in terms of eight different factions? 
I got to assume it's eight groups of camps, of campsites. So eight tents. I'm I'm picturing eight tents, all representing X number of students. So, I mean, if you're going to let, let's say, you know, let's say Sigma Chi has a tent, can they be holding a place for all 32 brothers? No, it's got to, it's got, I think you got to be able to limit it to the number of of students in that particular tent. So, you know, if it's a group of four, that's fine. One kid can hold, you know, the place. As long as there's one kid in there at all times, he's holding the place for all four. But, I mean, to... Well, the question is, did they change the way they do the seats that they created this need for this thing? Well, I guess the way the student section works now is it is a first-come, first-serve all right, because it wasn't that way when we were there. No, you had a ticket. I remember when I was there getting my freshman tickets, and we kind of had shittier seats. But by the time you became a senior, if you kept getting the season tickets, you were center court. Right. You know? Because I remember my RA was a senior. He's like, oh, no, when you're a senior, you'll get the real good seats. You know, like you you had a seat. You know, you had an assigned seat when you bought a season ticket. Uh-oh. And it wasn't just like general admission student section. So Otto's Army, I guess, started in 2006, and then in 2010, it it crafted a point system that allowed you to get benefits from from supporting the other programs. Okay. Like what? Like on the women's games? Yeah, non-revenue sports, stuff stuff like like that. that. Exactly. Okay. Um, Well, that's cool. I mean, anything that makes – Anything that engenders more of a uh, rah-rah collegiate experience, I think, is better for uh, Syracuse. Because in my experience, they have so many people at that school that just could give a damn. Absolutely, and I agree. And I think you know that type of spirit is great. But um, I I think there's a time and a place. I think there you got to kind of know your role, and you got to know. You got to know your school. I, I we're not a camp outside the dome kind of place. Yeah, I I remember a couple of years ago. I think they were camping out in the dome. You know, like in the uh, concourse or something. Here's here are on the the pantheon of things that are pretty embarrassing. One would be actually making it home with a chick and passing out before you hook up with her. Yeah, well, who hasn't done that? <laughs> Two would be camping out in support of your athletic program, but you get to do so inside the confines of a domed arena. Yeah. And number one would be camping out to support your athletic program, but having it canceled because it's too cold out. You might as well, well. You might as well not do it. It's Syracuse. It's minus. No, it's saying. minus nine more than it's not minus nine during the months of January and February. Yeah. I that's the problem. It's a hell of a lot easier to go camping out in North Carolina than it is in Syracuse, New York. You know what you do? You have you you have an all nighter. You have you know what's akin to the old fifties dance contests. You yeah. want to show your support? Well, you open up, um, you open up Manly Fieldhouse. Or well, Manly Fieldhouse is a football facility now. Yeah. Well, do they? Are you? 
It's got, it has turf in it. But do you, what I mean is, do are students allowed in it? I don't know, but where are you going to open Manly Fieldhouse? You th- Nowhere near the dome. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> Listen, Lee, let me finish. What, <laughs> why don't you go camp with Glidden? You go get your tent and you go go outside with the other eight idiots and you show Duke fans how tough you are. I don't know why you want to sit here and crap on all the crap on the kids that are making uh, Syracuse basketball more more exciting than you ever did. So you throw a party inside Manly Fieldhouse. Okay. All right. Like an all-nighter. Like an all-nighter. And yeah. the last men or women standing are akin to the people who are camping outside. So as you leave Manly Fieldhouse or as you fall asleep or as you pass out or whatever it is, you then get a ticket and you get the worst ticket. First guy who leaves gets the worst ticket. Last guy who leaves gets the best ticket in the house. I think that's more apropos and that's more in line of what the Syracuse University experience is as opposed to camping outside of the dome for two weeks. Yeah. I mean, I don't understand why you need to camp outside the dome for two weeks. Uh, I mean, if it really is only eight groups of tents, which is like got to be no more than like 30-something people. And to be honest, it's embarrassing. One, that there's only eight groups. And two, that you have to cancel it. Now, I understand. But Bayheim did deliver them donuts or something the other day, so that's kind of cool. Well, of course he, of course, because he's, he's the best. Yeah. <laughs> you know? You go camp out there for donuts for Bayheim. I, I, I would. I would, but I'm not camping outside for tickets. I'm looking at the rules of how this works. Oh, all right. List. All right, break it down. This is on the this is on carrierdome.com under their Otto's Army um, rules and regulations. Okay, go ahead. The student entry process, you know, student enter the carrier dome via gate E, present your valid SI SUID card. All right, let's see. All right. Um, SU students who purchase individual game tickets may be permitted to line up at Gady behind the student season ticket holders begin 30 minutes before tip-off. All right, the list, definition purpose. The list is a handwritten list of all students in line prior to the gate opening time of a Syracuse University men's basketball game. Gady is the assigned gate for student entry games. The list is the order in which students select their seats. The list is used to ensure safe, fair, and organized entry for students. Students must be student season ticket holders to participate. So just random schmoes can't go get on the list. You need to get the season tickets. Students are not required to participate in the system. However, students on the list, it's capitalized every time, will choose seats (laughs) before those not on the list. This system will only apply to as many students as fill the floor seat and blue seat, non-bleacher area of the student section. Basic process. The first group, up to four students... So by definition, that could have been no more than 32 students, those eight groups camping. Okay. The first group to arrive at Gady begins the list. These students are the list facilitators. So that's why those kids are trying to get there on time. They want to be the very first ones. So it might be more than eight. Uh, There might be more than eight groups camping out as you get a few days ahead of closer to the Duke game. The list facilitators may defer any or all responsibilities to the events officer of Otto's Army. (laughs) All right. It's getting really arcane now. 
As students arrive, they're responsible for finding the list and adding their group to the list. <laughs> Before the gates open, each group will receive an Otto's Army numbered card that corresponds with its group number. When the Carrier Dome staff begins its entry procedure, students will line up in the order they arrived, as defined by the list. Otto's Army board members will organize this task. Upon entry, students will make their way to the student section. There will be no running. <laughs> <laughs> Only students who are there at the opening of the gates and taking of seats get the seats. There will be no saving of seats, so you need to be there. Otto's Army board members are responsible for ensuring that students pick their seats in the order defined by the list. Upon taking their seats, groups will return to their official Otto's Army numbered card to an Otto's Army board member. So there you go. That's how it works. The following rules apply to every game. Abuses or violations of these rules shall be reported to Otto's Army board members. Maximum group size, four. All students must be student section season ticket holders to sit in the floor seats and participate in the list process. Group modifications. Groups may subtract members from their groups at any time. Groups may not add members once another group succeeds them. Groups may exchange members at any time before the gates open. So I guess you can trade people. <laughs> yeah. Like if I like if you had Mike Reardon in your group, you'd be looking to get rid of him or something. I would trade. I would trade Mike Reardon for uh, Little Teresa and Ann Bomberito. Is that possible? Oh, can, one for two trades. Can I? Can I do that? No, I'd have to. As long as that doesn't put your group over four, I'd have to throw in. As long in. as you're not adding to your group after another group has already succeeded you. Is there cash um, considerations? Yeah. If a group does not have any members at the gate, it will be allowed 15 minutes for a member to return. If no one from said group returns within the 15-minute grace period, the group will be moved to the end of the list. Ooh. <laughs> uh, so you need to have one guy there at all times. At all times. Okay, then that makes so sense. That's the thing, like the tent thing, you're talking about how it works. Uh, ben, listen, if you come back and if you're hearing this, and I hope you hear it and, and know that you have respect uh, of a couple old-timers, um, but... Get inside, man. Hey, Ben, I think what you're doing is really cool, man. <laughs> don't, don't worry about the haters like Matthew DeSantis. There's always going to be haters out there. Don't let, don't let people like him kill your dreams, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good stuff. Good stuff. Well, uh, listen, good luck, Ben Glidden. Good luck, Otto's Army. I hope everybody stays dry and comes out of this with with ten fingers and ten toes, all healed well. Sanders was the guy who thought all you guys were nerds when he was in college. <laughs> he was too cool for school. So he showed up at a basketball game at twenty two. <laughs> go to see go to senior Sunday, man. Go to have a, have yourself a beer. Listen, that's the top ten guy. Who's the top ten guy now? <laughs> Uh, I think it's a computer, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, don't they have a? Com- they don't have a DJ anymore, right? They got like a computer. <laughs> yeah, they play like a <laughs> like a pre um, preloaded song list. That's pretty intensive. Well, um, just hitting one last thing on the whole uh, the nine degrees below zero camp out for Otto's army and how it's not going to work. Uh, there was a minor controversy the other day because, um, what was it, like the National uh, Atmospheric or Weather Service or whatever issued 
its list of the top 10 snowiest colleges in the country. And number one on that list was Syracuse University. Well, you know, that that made the rounds on Facebook. I, I posted it. You know, people were loving it. All Syracuse people were loving it, of course. Um, and then later on that night, I was looking at Syracuse.com, and there was a news story that it had been updated, and Syracuse was now in a tie with SUNY Oswego for number two. SUNY Oswego wasn't on the original chart. And number one was now Michigan Tech. And um, apparently the uproar uh, came about where they changed the list because these people representing obscure colleges such as Michigan Tech and SUNY Oswego were like, where are we on this list? Uh, And the National Weather Service people were like, oh, we were trying to go after schools people recognized and had a little name recognition so um, so we lost our crown after just a few hours over in the, uh, the name of inclusiveness and having to include colleges that people have never even heard of and never will hear of again. Well, Unless listen. they're watching like the Frozen Four or whatever. I think Michigan Tech might have a good hockey team or they better have one. Listen, don't get me started on the National Weather Service, man. When I was a kid, the National Weather Service had clout. People listen to the National Weather Service. When they gave an alert, people people heeded those those alerts from the National Weather Service. Now, yeah. you got the Weather Channel naming winter storms. You got people disregarding uh, weather snow accumulation lists. It's it's a joke. It's a joke. People camping out and they should and be they, low digit weather. You know what the National Weather Service um Executives should do, bureaucrats should do. They should get a tent and they should get in the back of the line, get themselves on the <laughs> list, and you know, uh, and 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 enjoy some camping out in central yeah. New York in negative eight degree weather. But can you agree with me? That's kind of BS how we lost our crown. Yes. You know, it's like they were gone after recognizable schools. We went to a recognizable school, damn it. Screw you for going to Michigan Tech. No one cares about your school. That's right. You know, get in the back of the Oswego. Come on, get in the back seat, Oswego. Yeah, they would be in the at the end of the list if there was a list. Even if they were in the front of the list, we'd put them in the back of the list. Yeah, we'd say, "Oh, your group's not here. You've missed your fifteen minute grace period. Get out of here. Get to the back of the list." Yep. Um. Well. Let's move on to the X's and O's of Duke Cuse. If if you care. I do care. I do care because I think um I think this is going to be it's a good matchup. I think it's a good um it's a good game in terms of style. I think it's going to be a high-scoring affair. Um you know, Duke puts up 81 points a game. I think the game is going to score somewhere, you know, in the mid seventies, maybe low eighties. I think it'll we're be better when we're scoring points too. Absolutely, I think it'll probably be one of our higher uh, scoring outputs. Uh, I mean, not on, to say something sounding simplistic, but like when the game has a better pace, we play better. No, absolutely, because I think that I think we can make things happen. You know, I think that's yeah. you're, you're right. It plays when, to our defensive style. 
you know, the more the more time the the more often the ball's moving around and stuff, the more likely we are we get steals and transition points. Um, I do think though a higher pace, uh, a faster pace, a higher scoring game. What is that? Uh, ESPN runs um, those One of pop-up auto plays. Yeah, it's a pain in the ass. I hate that stuff. And there's no way to turn them off. Yeah, I try to avoid them for that. I hate that. That's so annoying. You know how are you supposed to run a decent podcast when you can't even surf ESPN without some stupid auto video popping up? <laughs> <laughs> what does the world come to? Back in my day, we didn't have these issues. Um. Okay. So back to back to serious business here. Yeah. Um. I think that a faster game, a higher scoring game, you know, might play into Duke's hands a little, a little bit. Um, they go a lot deeper than us. They go at least eight, um, maybe nine deep in terms of, you know, quality minutes and and um, you know contribution. They do. They're an athletic team. Um, yeah. You know, they can shoot. Um, yeah. And they got Jabari Parker. And they got Jabari Parker. I think, you know, from, you know, from a personnel standpoint, you know, I, I think I think we can we can contain him. Um, you know, I think that we can you know match up with him, and I think that we can make him work on both ends of the floor. Yeah. Um, you know the the. Um, you know the zone obviously gives us an opportunity to kind of you know settle in and and you know contain certain aspects um of a team's offense and you know i think that 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 will then pay dividends on the offensive end where if he's got to be working for his shot or if he's got to be you know moving without the ball uh to stay ahead of the zone um you know he's going to have to then go back on the defensive end and either contain Fair or contain Grant, um, you know, which is going to be a you know a particularly um, lofty challenge. But he's a pretty special player. Yeah, yeah, he is. Um, uh, I mean, that's I I haven't even watched that much Duke this year, so. I'm not even sure what's going to go on there because, to be honest with you, I hate Duke so much I cannot stand to watch them. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden there's a good chance of losing the game. I can't even watch because it really kills me. Uh, I, I think I watched maybe the last five minutes of the game against Notre Dame a couple weeks ago, a game which they lost. You know, I watched the second half of the game against Kansas early in the season. Uh, they lost that game too, but – um, that game wasn't a real good barometer of anything, though, now in retrospect. But um, Duke annoys me to such to such length, man. Everything from Mike Krzyzewski constantly berating the refs to, uh, to their annoying fan base of frigid, obnoxious nerds that think they're, think they're overly clever. Uh... I don't know. They're slap. They're they're tenacious, scrappy white guys slapping the floor on D. Everything about Duke is, you know, 
Everything about Duke is repugnant to me. Here's where um, where they're going to give us some problems. They shoot they shoot about forty percent from the three point line, and they shoot about seventy seventy five percent from from the free throw line. And if there's a recipe for beating us, it's hit your threes and make your free throws. Yeah. Yep. Pittsburgh didn't hit the free throws last week. That was big. So I think, you know, I think that's where where the the game is going to come down to it. I mean, I don't think you need to be, you know, Digger Phelps to to dissect that. that, No. You know, a team that shoots three-point, that, you know, that makes their three-pointers and shoots free throws well um, is going to be a team that that is in almost any game. And, you know, they're going to be in almost any game. Yeah, I think I mean, they'll be um, in this game. Who's that guy? Suleiman. He's a pretty good three-point shooter, is he not? Um, he is. He shoots uh, 47% from, from yeah, three-point. I know he's dangerous from out there. Let me see him pulling up there. And even though I don't watch him that much, I do know Jabari Parker's the real deal. He plays 29 minutes a game and averages 18.9 points a game. That's pretty damn good. And pulls down seven rebounds. Yeah, seven rebounds. But like to, you know, he's playing three quarters of a game and he's putting up 19 points. He's their leading scorer. That's pretty damn good. You know, and seven seven point seven rebounds is pretty damn good on top of it. And he, he's a 39% shooter from three-point range, which is actually pretty decent. Uh, that Rodney Hood guy is pretty good, too. He's their second leading scorer, and he shoots 46% from three-point range. He's a transfer of Mississippi State. And he was he was a preseason All-ACC first-teamer as well. Hmm. Yeah, they got a pretty good – of course they have a pretty damn good team. They're Duke. They're Duke. Yeah. I mean, they're Duke. They're always going to be Duke. You know, they're always good. They're always going to be well-coached, and they're always going to be tough to beat. I mean, nothing about this is going to be easy. You know, rarely do you see Duke get get blitzed, and I don't expect us to blitz them. You know, I think it's going to be a really good, tough game, and I think it'll be a more enjoyable game to watch than the pit game because it'll be more ple- more visually pleasing by the styles that will be played. You know, it's they're, they're going to allow us to do what we want to do, which is, you know, get up and down the court, move the ball a little bit, you know? Oh, I agree. It's going to be it's going to be a fun game to watch. I think it's, you know, the the kind of game that'll hold your attention for, you know, for 40 minutes. Um you know, we can't fall into that trap of 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 starting slow. You no. know, taking no. some time to warm up because, you know, Duke will be out ahead of you, you know, 20 yeah, to 4 put, before put you know it. They'll foot's on our throats. Yeah. They're not going to um you know they're 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 too good of a team to to do that to you know yeah uh you know an interesting thing about that speaking of Jabari Parker I was looking at today uh it was on Syracuse.com it was in the mail one of the uh the letters to the sports guys to one of the sports guys on there 
asking him to compare Tyler Ennis, who is not a McDonald's All-American, to all the other guards who are McDonald's All-Americans last year. And needless to say, but I'm going to say it anyway, he has outperformed all all of the, across the board he he's got the best statistics of any of the other five McDonald's All-American guards they had last year. Let me see. I'm trying to pull this up, see if I can find this. So it's really interesting because, you know, Duke always has loads of McDonald's All-Americans. Uh, but as you know, a lot of this stuff is more about politics than anything. Right. You know, and uh, 10 things we hate about Duke. They get all the calls, number eight. Well, that's great. They're doing a thing that everybody hates about. Uh, <laughs> I saw that. You'd love it because Dickie V is one of them. Yeah, of course. Every that's one thing everybody hates about Duke is Dukey V, man. Oh man, I can't. Oh, here it is. Mike's mailbox. Mike Waters, who does the, uh, who's the Syracuse beat writer, Syracuse hoops writer for the uh, Post, the Post Standard, and he compare. He has a little chart here. I'll uh, I'll send it to you so you can appreciate it. So there are five other guys who were named who were uh, who were named McDonald's All Americans, including Andrew Harrison at Kentucky. You know, do you see what I'm looking at yep, now? I got you. I'm with you. Yeah, I mean, you look across the board, like it. It's not close that he. I don't think it's close. Especially when you compare the assist to turnover ratio amongst all these guys. I mean, the guy from North Carolina State's got 4.2 assists per game, but he turns the ball over 2.2 times a game, you know? Uh, guy at Washington, 4.2, 4.2 to 2.5, you know? Like it. Andrew Harrison, Kentucky, 3.5 assists per game, 2.4 turnovers. You know, I don't. I mean, it, it's just, it just goes to show you how much BS goes into getting chosen as a McDonald's All-American. Yeah, it's so true. Because it's hard to believe. It's not like, oh, we never knew he was going to be this good. It was only, you know, uh, eight months ago, you know, or, you know, 10 months ago or whatever it was. You know, it wasn't that long ago. It, it just, I I don't know. It's just. Like everything that involves high school basketball and college basketball, there's always a backroom group of shady people involved with everything, you know? Yeah, I mean, especially that whole AAU scene. That's just yep. that's as dirty as it gets. I mean, yep. you know, I know being, you know, in, in SEC country, um, I'm sure there's a ton of shenanigans that go on in terms of getting – you know the high school players to those schools and and yeah. you know uh, on that high school circuit, but nothing's as dirty, nothing's as stinky as the as that AAU scene uh, oh. when it comes to you know high school basketball. Yeah, I mean, just look at anybody who's like buddies with John Calipari. Yeah, you know, like his buddy World Wide West or anybody like that. It's all these hangers on. Uh, all these like basically street agents and stuff. Not that that guy is, but he came up through those ranks. But I'm, it's just like you know, people trying to advance their own causes through through kids, basically. You know, it's just it's 
it's dirty, it's filthy, and um, you know maybe they need to redo the movie Blue Chips to even show how much how much seedier it's become even since that movie was made. You know, oh which totally, didn't actually, which which didn't put college basketball recruit in the best light back then either. Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's crazy. But uh, but enough about Tyler asking slighted. I want him to go out there. Uh, I want him to be playing every game like he's got a chip the size of uh, Gibraltar on his shoulder, you know? Yeah, and so far he has, and so far uh, he's been able to handle it. And I don't expect that um, Saturday's game is going to be any different. You know, yep. I, I think that, that obviously, you know, Fair and, and Grant – are going to play major roles, but uh, you know I think the key to victory, um, it literally is in Ennis's hands. You know uh, he's yeah. he's been invaluable in terms of his ability to you know not only distribute and run the offense, but uh, you know make key hoops when needed. So um, I'm looking forward to it. Although I will be hopped up on pain meds um, for for probably most of uh, most of that mm-hmm. weekend. So uh, yeah. it should make for an interesting viewing experience, but. You know, I was hopped up on vodka grapefruit for most of the '96 NCAA tournament run, and yeah, no doubt, I still <laughs> have pretty good memories of that. So we'll see what happens, man. And the fact that he's going to be gone up against, uh, you know, the fact that he's going to be gone up against Jabari Parker in that game, you know, that's only going to motivate him that much more. You know, so he's going to be dying to show what he's got out there with him being on the other side of the court. So uh, I think it's going to be a good game. I like our chances to win. I just really want us to get past these first two games first, though. And I really hate that those are lingering before the Duke game. Me too. Me too. But they're they're winnable games, and, and you know, the, it's certainly not in um, in Beheim, Coach Beheim's makeup to, you know, to let a game – to let us look past the game. So you got to figure that, that he'll get everything in order and, and, you know, everybody will be on, on the same yeah. page and, and right where we need to be this Saturday. Yeah, well, it's safe for show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man, what else you got? Uh, I don't think I have much else, man. It's, it's almost, it's almost midnight. I'm going to act like I'm doing a broadcast of the NFL, like a Monday night football Game broadcast. Even though it's only eleven o'clock, where the game's being played, the broadcast is <laughs> always going to act like it's midnight because their whole worldview is shaped by the East Coast. <laughs> that always killed me. They'd be doing like the game in New Orleans, and be like, "Oh, it's almost midnight right now." Oh no, like, no, it's not. You, it's not midnight where you are. You know. Uh, well, on that note, well, <laughs> with apologies to Girk's brother, we'll see you guys next week. Hey, adios, Sanders.